Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Each week we delve deep with some of the brightest and most forward thinking, out of the box minds in health, consciousness, mindset, and spirituality. This show inspires our listeners to improve their body and mind. And our intention is to fuse and unlock the conscious warrior and shift the balance in the current paradigm. Be curious. Don't just keep on listening to what you know and you love because you're missing out on a lot of things that you don't know that are there to love. You know, uh, that's what uh, most holy books say is uh, sound is the creator of this reality, of this universe. And this may be a big statement, and I will say it, that sound is the origin of faith. You often find truths encoded, hidden, so that only the initiates, only those who can handle the truth, who can understand it, will be able to do so. Talk about what is happening in, in reality. What, you know, we don't ask the most important questions, which is who are we? What are we doing in the human experience? What is the point of being here? Where do we come from? Where do we go when we die? What is happening in the mind? What are are we thinking about? Is it positive or negative? Is it necessary? How much are we exploring something? How much of, are we belaboring a certain thought? Hey, what is up everyone? Nikola Tesla said, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And science tells us that all life is energy in one form of another. And this energy is eternal. It's changing and it's morphing from one shape or form to another. And each energy shape has its own particular pattern of frequencies or vibrations. And when one form experiences a matching frequency in the form of a musical note, the form will begin to vibrate in sympathy with a certain note. And a strong enough vibration can even cause a form to reconstruct itself. And if you do think about it, our body is the perfect transmitter of vibration, being 70% water. So that's why today's podcast is going to be delving deep into the universe of sound. When you do really think about it, we're constantly walking around and living in a world of sound. And I really do think sometimes, and it's the same for me, I sometimes actually just forget to remember how many different beautiful sounds that are actually on this planet and are a gift to our bodies and minds. And the sound of topic is certainly a complex one. But when people provide complex information, you struggle to understand it all straight away. That's absolutely fine. Don't get frustrated. Because the fact you're actually exposing yourself to complex ideas is the fact that you're meant to be. Like, just imagine hearing the same ideas over and over again that you already do understand. Now imagine indulging your mind in new ones. What is that doing for your brain? It's firing and wiring new connections all over your body. Just take the example of look at training the body as well. Working the muscles you haven't trained before. You start reaching areas within your body that are untapped. Now go back to a bit of information, a thought, an idea that will also open up and reach areas within our minds that is untapped. So that is why Alexandria Tanus is on the podcast to give us a powerful reminder that sound is everything. Alexandria is a sound researcher, philosopher, mystic, world traveller, a speaker, but most importantly, 
He's done the inner work by travelling the world, participating in indigenous, shamanistic ceremonies, steeping himself in history and much more. Alexandria certainly goes deep as we discuss the finer points of sound meditation and consciousness. But before we jump with this podcast, we've now launched our little trailer for the three-part episode about the past, the now and the future. And if you haven't already checked it out, you can view it in the show notes to this podcast. Or alternatively, you can view it at our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and also at our Send podcast website. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Completely to sound. Hey. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Very good. And you? Yeah, we're good. Really good. Well, just welcome on to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. We've uh, we've both been really looking forward to this conversation for a while, and the study of sound is so complex, but it's beautiful at the same time. And like, we really just needed to cover on this, or cover this on the podcast, and it's quite interesting because just prior to this podcast as well, me and Chris were having a conversation, and mm. um, we're saying like, imagine a world without sound, because <laughs> if you think about, it, we're always constantly surrounded in a a sea of sound. And there's not a minute of the day like when we, we can't hear some sort of sound. And we were, we were seeing like before, we really do just take it for granted. And sound is a huge part of it in our lives. And we were saying, just imagine what a world would be like without sound. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, well you know, uh, that's what um, most holy books say is uh, sound is the creator of this reality, of this universe. Starting with, uh, let's say, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Uh, in the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word is sound. It comes from the concept of Logos from ancient Greece. Uh, in uh, the Vedas, Nada Brahma, the world is sound, or the word is vibration. And the universe started with the primordial Om sentence that you often find in Hinduism and Buddhism and ancient Egypt, the universe started with a song, music of the spheres, the concept of Akasha, um, this Big Bang. This is all about sound. Somehow, sound started this whole experience. Therefore, sound can be considered as God. In esoteric philosophies, uh, sound is the... Well, specifically, the harmonic series, we can talk about it later. Har- Harmonic series is described as uh, the stairway to heaven, and in some other holy books, it's the living God. Wow. It's the biggest mystery. Yeah, I, I loved. How, I actually loved how you said like the universe is sound because I think sometimes we just we just don't think we don't think about that far. We don't think about that like that. The universe yeah. is that bigger picture. I mean, mm-hmm. if you do think about it, sound does affect everything in our life, lives in our lives, and we actually touched on um, this briefly like in our previous podcast as well, and we're like question actually how much of our decision decision mm-hmm. decision sorry and thoughts we have in our life mm-hmm. actually coming from ourselves so then that also got me thinking and we had a little discussion about this before as well about how much sound actually influences our thoughts and our decisions that we actually make in the world today yeah absolutely well a lot of people have always thought that a lot of experts and researchers that the world exists because we have a language for it so there's a great correlation between the reality that we experience and language, uh, the vibration that words have. And um, if you go deep into sound research, you realize how impactful it is 
sound and its correlation with uh, <clears throat> visuals and synesthesia, especially, which is the crossing of senses. When we hear something and see something, this happens in, in um, shamanic experiences. And some people are uh, born synesthete, natural synesthete. Uh, that is basically when the senses cross and, and they trigger another action, especially the, the connection between sound and visuals. Um, and also, if uh, one knows a bit about how sound affects matter, and um, this is in cymatics. Cymatics is the study of uh, the visual manifestation of sound, how sound can move matter, whether that matter is water or liquids, putty or um, powder, fine powder. Each frequency has a specific image, so sound has an image. Most of the time we think it's just only auditory, but, but it, it does move matter. If people can Google uh, cymatics images and see it's spelled C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. It's a vast study. I highly encourage him to look into my friend's research, Gabriel Kellerman. He's based in Romania, K-E-L-E-M-A-N, and Hans Yeni's uh, research, Yeni, J-E-N-Y, and um, several other researchers. Um, yeah. yeah, utterly fascinating. Yeah, it is. I was just going to say about that. Actually, I watched a, bit, a really cool video on uh, cymatics, and it was called um, I think it was called the science versus music by uh, Nigel Stamford. Have you seen that one where it's got like all the yes yeah, it's brilliant, yes it's a brilliant amazing. video that amazing that <clears throat> absolutely mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I think as well though that the, just like the visual footage on that video was sh showing you the potential of what actually sound like yeah. showing like the sh showing how like, like you said before the sound frequency moves matter into some amazing like geometric shapes it's amazing. Yeah, so this is what's happening in our bodies all the time. We think that we only experience sound with our ears. That's um, because the, the auditory uh, perception of sound is far greater than what our bodies experience, but the body is always experiencing sound. And if you can imagine what these frequencies that we're hearing all, all the time are affecting, um, how they're affecting water in our body. And we know that the human body is made of somewhere between 70 or 80% water. So all liquids in the body, uh, all of them are, are conforming to specific frequencies. It's moving the molecules and um, not to mention the, the subtle energy. So it's not a surprise that sound impacts everything in our awareness on the emotional, physical, mental, spiritual levels. This is why sound has been the primary tool for all ceremonies, shamanic, spiritual, religious, indigenous, nothing happens without sound and music. Mm. I, I was thinking of the Alex. I, I, um, I was thinking about um, how straight away when a when a baby comes out and the first thing it mm. hears is its mother's voice. Yes. It, it immediately thinks of warmth just from the sound of that voice. So mm -hmm. immediately that sound has played a huge impact into that into the yeah. birth of that child. Absolutely, but the, the strange thing is that the baby, all along, you know, in her, his <clears throat> in the mother's womb, is experiencing the sound of the mother through uh, conduction. Of course, the baby is in the amniotic fluid, 
and the perception of sound is very different when we're in water. First of all, sound travels in liquids four times more efficiently than air, give or take. depends on the temperature and the what, what kind of uh, elements are found in the water, salty or whatnot. But it's about four times. And also, the perception of sound in the womb would be very different. Also, the perception of sound through bone and tissue conduction, which is mostly how we experience our voices. It's not strictly auditory, but... It's how the sound is traveling in, in the bones, in the jaws, in the skull, and in the tissue, cheeks, and everything involved. If you want to get a heightened perception of that, block your ears and, and talk a bit, and you hear how differently your sound, the sound of your voice is. And this is basically why we react the first time we hear a recorded version of our voice. And we feel that, oh, that's not me. It doesn't sound like me. <laughs> that's how people That's how people hear <laughs> For us, <laughs> it's not how we hear ourselves because it's the mixture of auditory and um, bone and tissue conduction. When when you when you were talking there about how um how like certain like sounds travel through different types of water much faster, I was thinking there because mm. I, if you think about it, I want to ask you because a lot of people talk about how our body is like this perfect transmitter of vibration, but I was wondering mm-hmm. like we're talking about the sound uh, traveling through different types of water, is is our the the way our body conducts sound? Do we have like some form of I can't. It's hard to explain, but do we have some form of, um, like, is the water in our body sort of like more auditory responsive? Yeah, like auditory responsive to the sound. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's why. Uh, um, I mean, not just the water; everything in our body changes. This is why toning and vocalization and oming and chanting or repeating mantras and sutras. That's the whole point: is to condition the entire body to a specific frequency, vibration, to a specific intention, to whatever the sound is modifying. Yeah. And if you just sit in meditation, close your eyes and om for five minutes or do overtone singing, you see how deep of trans- transcendental state you'll experience in just a few minutes. Wow. It alters consciousness. That's what sound does. Sound is a transcendental and psychedelic tool. Psychedelic meaning here, it manifests the mind. That's what the meaning of the word is in ancient Greek. So uh, naturally, uh, sound, human beings have realized how powerful sound is, whether sound generated by the voice or by instrument, in modifying, altering consciousness. Because it's very important for us as human beings to experience an altered state of consciousness or transcendental state to better understand consciousness. That's really what we do all, all the time. Mm. Because the best way to for a fish, let's say, if you want to explain to a fish what water is, the, the fish is not going to get it. You know, the water, that, the whole thing around you, that body's like, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine you're doing that. <laughs> but if you, change, if you change something to water, if you put uh, red dye, let's say, or... Uh, uh, release bubbles in the water or take the fish a bit out of the water and plunge back, then the fish would start to get it that, oh, it's the space around me is actually something. It's not nothing. So that's what I mean by altering consciousness. We understand what consciousness is. So therefore, the altered state is very important for human beings. That's why all shamanic societies, and at one point in time, all societies were shamanic. And we use psychotropic plants of all 
sorts and they're making a big comeback now. But, you know, it's very important to modify consciousness to understand what consciousness is or to understand what baseline consciousness is. Mm, I think that's absolutely fascinating, especially when we're talking about like manifesting the mind through sound mm -hmm. and altering consciousness. And it yeah. actually does lead us into this direction as well. Like, what made you want to gain like a better understanding of how sound has been used to affect our human consciousness? You know, my uh, studies, my lifelong studies of music, and um, I, I was interested in music at an early age, and I. Uh, um, pursued studies and then I went to university and uh, I ended up by spending 12 years doing four different degrees in music, studying various subjects in depth, uh, music theory, composition, performance, and, and uh, I double majored as an undergrad and then I did three master's degrees and I was doing PhD but then I ran out of steam. <laughs> I studied ethnomusicology and music education. So the more I studied about music, the more I realized how profound it is and how much it was revealing important things to me. And then when I was done with graduate school, a couple of years later, I started this independent research on uh, the therapeutic and the esoteric properties of sound. And that, I did that out of uh, personal reasons, out of curiosity. It was for me, it was not okay, let me do this, you know, because I was happy doing what I was doing back then, teaching a lot, yeah. doing research, playing, composing, contemporary classical and film music, uh, playing all sorts of different uh, musical styles and cultures. But something within me made me feel that there's something else yeah. that I needed to know. And I became interested in the function of sound in shamanism and the use of sound in Eastern philosophies the mantra and sutra systems and the chants and also um, the Western scientific aspect of studying sound because people don't realize that sound is mathematics. It is mathematical ratios that we're listening to. That's what sound and music is. And to really study sound and know it in depth, one has to study a bit of acoustics, which is a branch in physics that studies sound and sound behavior. <clears throat> so... I realized very quickly that the best way to understand sound and music is to take a multidisciplinary approach and to look at it through various lenses and, and, and filters to really understand what sound is about. And next thing you realize that it's everything. It connects to everything that we do. And you can study it through phenomenology, which is branch in philosophy that deals with the mechanics of an experience and how to pay attention. Basically, it's the art of paying attention. <laughs> and ontology and cymatics, ethnomusicology, uh, which is what I'm specialized in, which is um, um, kind of comparable to anthropology of music, if you will. It's a sociocultural way of understanding and studying uh, music. Um, and um, so many other things that, that I had to use to really gain a deeper understanding of sound and to do comparative studies as well between different harmonic systems. That's really important. Yeah, I, I loved how you, I loved how you again how you said sound is everything because it really is, and I, I, I also love as well how you um, how you are. Open, that's what that was why I was really drawn to you for because you are really open-minded to all these different areas, like be it like the science side, the, like the skeptical side. Yeah, I love how you sort of bring all them together. <clears throat> I think it is so important, and we need to stay open-minded in all them different areas. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And that's something that I highly encourage people to to be an exercise skepticism, healthy skepticism and not being doubtful because, you know, we're so open to uh, holistic practices and Eastern philosophies and shamanism. Um, there's a lot of very serious archaic revival, but because of this um, avid openness, people can easily become gullible and buy into anything and, and everything. Yeah. Um, whatever they read on the internet, they think it's real, they think it's true. No, it's not. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of wishful thinking and wishful believing and unconfirmed rumors and hooey and hokey stuff and even disinformation, specifically about sound. So... <clears throat> Um, people have to be immensely important. Take, for example, people often ask me this question, you know, what do you think of the correlation of notes with chakras, specific notes of a scale, you know, like C can open or affect your root chakra and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Well, there is no evidence. It's impossible to quantify this knowledge. Um, I'm a person who uses science, but I also realize the limitation of science and how much science can use open-mindedness and and um, avoidance of uh, reductionism. But also accepting these truths without any questioning can be reductionism. Accepting these truths that we hear coming from shamanic societies without figuring out how we should understand them as people who are outside of the culture because you know taking something out of context you know would make us lose the most important things and that's something that's happening quite a lot in spirituality um, we need to be very careful how we treat these this knowledge this rhetoric that we hear and the, the, thing, the various things that we hear and not to repeat them the way natives do because we don't have the same belief so reality springs out of belief Belief can affect so much the reality that we experience. We don't fully understand how bizarre reality is and how elusive and how differently it can be from one person to another, let alone from one culture to another. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that is absolutely fascinating how belief does completely change the mind. Like, one day yeah. yeah like one day you could be just going through a, like a plain mindful existence but then all of a sudden when if you have belief in something maybe belief in that you're mm -hmm. better, better than this situation you will get out of that situation and that's fascinating to me and it also made me think as well how sound does affect belief and that's really interesting and like because sound it can take us into these different realms of existence just mm -hmm. like how sound can like change an effect on a film and our mind and our perception, it like we've seen there, sound may like alter our perception of this reality as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's really why sound is used in commercials, in stores to put you in the mood, targeting specific clientele to spend the money, or it's used in films to give value to what's happening on the screen, visually and auditorily. And it's uh, to frame everything. How does it do this? Well, it modifies everything in the body. In the body, in the entire awareness, not just the physical body, but in the, in, on the mental level and the emotional level. Uh, and I did 
research studies in, in this to measure, for example, how sound impacts the brainwave cycles, uh, the electrical activities happening in the brain. To an extent, sound affects the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic and sympathetic, which is the system that runs the machinery all the time, even when we're not paying attention, even when we're asleep. Um, and um, how it affects heart rate variability, how the heart communicates to the brain important things. So basically, it modifies our emotions and affects subtle energy as well, which is something that is hard to measure. Chakras and, and, and uh, subtle energy like Kundalini and, and Prana or Chi. So that's something, unfortunately we cannot measure, we don't have the tools to measure, but it's certainly uh, modifying them because, you know, imagine yourself, you know, leaving work and you put your headphones on and uh, you start to listen to music. Well, most people do that when they leave work. What is it doing? Well, it's snapping the person out of the baseline, disconnecting the person from things, altering the mood, changing the neurochemistry, Everything, the melody, harmony, rhythms, it's a very deep study. I mean... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's certainly evident to say in, like, in our modern-day world now how like sound does affect our consciousness. But I wanted to ask you as well, like, if we do go back in time, like a bit mm-hmm. further back, I was wondering like, to what extent through your research has like, sound actually been used to like affect our human consciousness in the past? Wow. Uh, um. I think it goes back hmm, dozens of thousands of years, if not hundreds of thousands of years. We don't know how old the human being is. Things keep on getting older, <laughs> as we are realizing now. <laughs> but uh, has certainly been the most powerful tool for human beings. And there's a clear evidence to anyone who goes deep into sound research that, and this may be a big statement, and I will say it, that sound is the origin of faith. Wow. Yes. Sound, I mean, you know, this is this is what you hear quite a lot in uh, and, and read about, uh, that sound, um, as I said earlier, is the creator of reality, or, or even sound is the living God. Um, these big truths are not always written in, in, a, in a clear way, very often this knowledge is encoded, and I'll expand on this in a bit. So uh, one would need to do a lot of digging and, and figuring out <clears throat> what is being talked about here. Um, several people have done this. One of them is a friend of mine. Um, his name is Howard Barry Schatz. People can look up his books and his writing, and um, he's someone who has studied the biblical text for 35 years. He was able to decode the book of creation, the only book written by Abraham, the patriarch, attributed to him at least. And his conclusion is that uh, sound is the living God. Everything is encoded in mathematics. And mathematics and sound are connected. This is basically what uh, the most important part of Kabbalah is about. Is about sound. It's the science of harmonics. It's the ancient quantum physics. Uh, Pythagoras was into this. Most people know Pythagoras as being the father of geometry, which is true. 
true, but he was also deeply interested in sacred geometry, which is connected to the universe and creation and, and reality. And uh, he was also interested in mathematical ratios and uh, math and music, harmonics, and their connection to consciousness. Socrates was a Pythagorean. Socrates was sharing with people and sowing impiety among young students and uh, telling them about things that were considered secret and uh, it was very revealing and authorities didn't like that so they put him in prison waiting for his execution. Uh, allegedly he drank poison and committed suicide. So his student Plato couldn't tell people these truths. He encoded his writing with all of this stuff, and there there are a few books written on the subject. One of them is a fascinating book by uh, uh, Jay Kennedy, a professor of philosophy in the University of Manchester. It's called uh, Musical Structure in Plato's Dialogues. Basically, we now know that all of Plato's work is about sound. It's not just philosophy. Oh. It's about sound, mathematical ratios. He couldn't tell people that the world and universe is ruled by mathematical ratios and not by Zeus and the gods of Olympus, they would have executed him as well. Yeah. So he encoded this, tru this truth, hoping that someone at some point in the future would be able to decode it and understand it. And that's how you often find truths encoded, hidden, so that only the initiates, only those who can handle the truth, who can understand it, will be able to do so. Yeah. If not, it will be lost because it will be mishandled. That's basically how knowledge has survived, important knowledge for hum human beings. Mystery schools, uh, mystical sects, uh, secret societies, esoteric philosophies, and so on and so forth. I was going to, uh, it was a beautiful point that, by the way, and it is, it is very feasible that that could be a possibility because, like you said before, sound being, like sound could be the source. I mean, it, it really could. I mean, I even remember if you look at Nikola Tesla, he talked about how if you mm -hmm. do want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and um, vibration. That, exactly. He also said that if you want, if you find the, the resonant frequency of Earth, you can split it into halves, which is true. And this tells you how powerful sound is. Any, any powerful tool can be used in extremely positive or negative, destructive way. And this is something that we know for sure. I mean, there, governments have been using sound in military applications. Um, there is a book uh, about this. It's called um, Sonic... Um, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I'll remember it in a bit. Um, yeah, uh, um, can't remember. They come back to me. Um, so, but yeah, uh, sound is powerful. Why? Because it, sound is not only vibration. Most people think it's vibration, but it's also oscillation and pulsation. And that's the nature of reality. And we're learning more and more from physics that there is nothing solid. Years ago, we used to think that, oh, the smallest, tiniest part is the atom. Atom is solid. But it didn't 
didn't take long for us to realize that, oh, wait a second, there are a lot of things within the atom, <laughs> far smaller, yeah. and there's nothing really solid. They just vibrate. So reality, as we experience, does not seem to be there once we start to analyze and observe things on the subatomic level. There is nothing that should amount to the reality, the consensual reality uh, that we experience. That's the bizarre part of it. Yeah, definitely as well. And just to go back a few steps as well, when we before when we're talking about how certain things have affected <laughs> our um, human consciousness, I actually had a thought in my mind there and I was thinking because, do you know, like when you look at wheels and things like that, like how they use sounds and people mm -hmm. even talk about how wheels have like all these different forms of language and people even, people, I've heard even people say that they could even fill a full Bible up with like how much different forms of communication a wheel does have. But I think even if you just think about all these different forms in nature, something I was like pondering in, in my mind was like how animal sounds have actually had an effect on how we perceive music and how we perceive language now and it's interesting to even think about how that has affected us and affected our consciousness yeah tremendously tremendously you know we're we're discovering uh, more and more about sound but the, the problem is that um, we have not been taking sound very seriously for a variety of reasons because it takes so much to really understand sound uh, we cannot be specialists. We are we're at a point now to really understand consciousness. We need a team of specialists. We need a philologist. We need a quantum physicist, an experimental physicist, theoretical physicist. We need a biochemist. We need uh, a philosopher. We need you know a whole host of different specialists to sit down and, and to to really talk. Talk about what is happening in, in reality. What, you know, we don't ask the most important questions, which is who are we? What are we doing in the human experience? What is the point of being here? Where do we come from? Where do we go when we die? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was just going to say as well, but you said before as well, you're totally right. And I think it seems to be that like, if you do look at sound, it can, t it can take on these many different forms of experience. And I think mm -hmm. that's, like you said before, I think that's why we need to have this like very wide view when it comes to sound and effect <coughs> it can have on our consciousness. And it seems, mm -hmm. to, it seems to me, if you look back, that was the place that the ancients were at and they were understanding the blend between the science and where spirituality meets that as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. That's the area that I'm interested in is the intersection of science, art and spirituality. Because there's really no difference. Oh, by the way, the book I was trying to remember is Sonic Warfare okay. by Steve Goodman. Um, so we lost the truth when we became specialists. If you know, I mean, almost every person knows that medieval scholars had various specialties. They were involved in mathematics, in physics, in um, astrology, cosmology, in music, uh, alchemy, various things that there is no one specialist who is involved in all these things, right? Uh, why? Because this is basically where the term Renaissance man came from. Well, it's not a practice that was done in Renaissance period, which spanned from 1450 to 1600. Um, it, it's a medieval practice. And, um, but this is really what, uh, uh, we need to do, we need to know so much about a variety of different things because if 
we are specialized in one subject and we go so deep into it, we lose the, the, the bigger picture. And these specialists nowadays don't talk to each other. They don't, physicists don't have a clue what's happening in chemistry or in other fields or even within physics, but different specialization. So it's very important to be open-minded and to zoom in and zoom out and see how the dots connect. This is how I was able to arrive to truths that are not taught, things, very important things that, that, is, that are not taught in university level for someone who studied music for such long period of time. Uh, it takes so much effort. It's very important for us to know. Consciousness expands through knowledge. That's how consciousness expansion is, is measured through how much we know. Like take, for example, in ancient times, they believe that, you know, every time there's thunder and lightning, then the gods are angry. Well, that's what happens when people don't understand anything or don't know anything about meteorology or, <laughs> you know, weather phenomenon. So, uh, but once we understand why such a thing is happening, then we have a different understanding of the nature of that thing. This is knowledge. This is what knowledge does. Why? Because humans are always able to conjure up an explanation when they don't know the true um, exact uh, truth behind it. Because it's very important for us to have some understanding, to have some labeling. But we don't realize when we're wrong. And also, it's hard to know what we don't know. It's impossible to do that. So therefore, most of the time, people do not leave room for what they don't know. Yeah. They talk about things and measure things based on how much they know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there is like a, a lot of uh, missing connections through the search for knowledge. And this is why we can't really like leave out the spiritual connection to sound. And, yeah. and I think the spiritual significance of sound, certainly in my opinion, is something that needs investigate further. And I think people can see that it's just people can see that it's just wooey. But there's no doubt that if we look back at all these different cultures throughout the world, and for example, if you look at the, the Tibetan monks, they yeah. they really do have a huge emphasis around sound and it and it connects and it connects them like to these altered states these mm -hmm. heightened self awarenesses this is incredible it's it's connecting them to this higher self and it's fine tuning their self observation yes absolutely um, and the fascinating thing is that they um, they've used a lot of um, overtone singing the throat singing that they do. This is a way of producing multiple harmonics. It's often called, the technical name is diphonic singing. Diphonic singing is when you can produce two tones simultaneously. But uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monks can sing more than two tones. So basically that's something that we find in various cultures, mostly in Central Asia. In Mongolia, in Tuva, in Nepal, in Tibet, around the Himalayas, but also outside of the Himalayas region. So um, <clears throat> uh, it can be done in a variety of different ways. I can demonstrate one way uh, of doing diphonic singing. It's not the Tibetan way, it's more the Tuvan way. So basically the premise of that, well, 
um, I would probably need to talk about harmonics first because that's important. <laughs> Otherwise, people are not going to understand what it is. So um, this is a very deep topic and convoluted. I'll, I'll talk about it briefly without <laughs> spending hours on it. <laughs> so sound is very complex. If you analyze it, when you uh, do harmonic spectrum analysis, you realize that sound has uh, two components, if you will. One that's called the fundamental frequency, and another aspect is the overtones. These fine frequencies, higher than the fundamental frequency, which would be the lowest in pitch, and these overtones or harmonics uh, are there to give the sound its tone color or timbre. That's basically how we're able to differentiate um, one person's voice from another or an instrument sound from another. So it's informing us quite a lot of things when we listen to sound, that this is one person you know or do you don't know, or you're listening to flute instead of violin and so on. And basically, most of the time when we listen to these various sounds, the overtones are not audible. They only become audible when we play them... Uh, uh, when we play certain instruments such as gongs, singing bowls, didgeridoos, jaw harps, overtone singing, various discs and bells, you start to hear the overtones. Basically what you're hearing is what makes the sound sound the way it does. You're hearing the elemental structure of the sound. Now this is very important because humans have always gravitated toward constructing instruments mostly from alloy of various metals to end up with an instrument that when you strike, you hear the fundamental frequency and the overtones. This is something that happened in various continents without people knowing anything about metallurgy or acoustics or mathematics or any deep knowledge of sound or any scientific knowledge. Intuitively, we manifest these things. We can even do them when we work with uh, instruments, build instruments from plant material, which is a very hard thing. Uh, you would notice this on um, in, in flutes, end blown reed flutes such as Ney or Caval. These are type of uh, flutes that are end blown reed flutes uh, found in um, Arabic culture, Turkish, Persian, uh, Eastern European, Balkan region, or in mallet instruments found in sub-Saharan countries in Mali, West Africa, mostly balafon and jill, these two instruments. So this is telling me, I mean, this is something that I witness a lot in my fieldwork. Didgeridoo is one of them, you know, it's made from uh, uh, hollowed piece, you know, termite hollowed uh, Piece and you can use different words. But, but anyway, basically, we gravitate toward what we need to expand our consciousness. So I'm going to demonstrate uh, overtone singing. Wow. So you will hear me sing the fundamental tone. And by manipulating the buccal cavity, which is the space inside my mouth that stretch, stretches between uh, from the, the, the upper throat area where the vocal cords are, all the way up to the teeth, and I would open and close the space 
to bring out these overtones to clearly audible level. How so? Well, if you have a specific space, space can be a natural amplificator to specific frequency. And that's basically how we play didgeridoo in most brass and wind instruments along with blowing air. Or that's how we sing overtone singing. <clears throat> yeah, so it sounds like this. I don't know if they made it through the microphone. No, actually, sorry. yeah, we heard that perfect, and it was amazing. I was actually just saying um, to Dan there, I was going moving my hands through both um, sets of ears because I, could, I felt like I could hear both of the, um, the tones at different levels. Yes. So this is basically what humans have looked for. What you're witnessing there, what your body is experiencing, you're witnessing the according to the ancient text to what created the universe. Wow. This is the primordial OM. OM is not one vowel. It's several vowels. It's supposed to be pronounced AUM. When you do this, you're actually going through the different formants. The vocal tract is capable of producing different formants, which produce vowels. So for me to produce these overtones, I have to think as if I'm singing different vowels and the shades between vowels, the AUM. That's basically, and if you manipulate the buccal cavity in a specific way, then you get overtone singing. Well, Tibetan Buddhist monks did not do this by accident. They're doing it to deepen their meditative transcendental state, to alter consciousness. And they use, they use visualization techniques. They work with yantras visual mantras, if you will, and they visualize things and, you know, they get, they paint mandalas, they construct mandalas. Man mandalas come from cymatics. If people look at cymatics, they can go to cymatics.org or just Google cymatics and look at images. Yeah. yeah You'll find a great correlation between that and, and mandalas. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I was just about to say that as well. I mean, even if you just, when you mentioned the Tibetan monks again there, I mean, it seemed to be like what you were saying before, they did have this understanding of the world's different like frequencies and vibrations and they, like you said through their meditations they were actually using sound to try and tap into these deeper levels of altered states of consciousness and i think that's beautiful what they were trying to do because they weren't just settling for just normal meditation practice they were trying to explore using sound and bringing the two worlds together which i think is beautiful yes absolutely and that's really utterly fascinating why because this means that we are encoded with what we need to know to unravel consciousness, to expand consciousness. We intuitively um, gravitate toward things that we manifest and we go to great lengths. You know, if you want to make a singing bowl, it's not an easy thing. You have to source the right metals, the right proportion of metals. Uh, they're made of two metals. Metals. Most people think their Tibetan singing, Himalayan singing bowls are made of seven metals. It's not. It's just two. Two, there are some impurities. Uh, and that is copper and tin. The impurities that can be found in a bowl are mixture of silver, 
copper, gold, mercury, lead, iron, and so on. But ultimately, you want to uh, you want to have an alloy of that's called bronze, which is the mixture of copper and tin. So when you strike a ball or when you rub the rim with a mallet, uh, you can hear the overtones come out. And when you do this, you immediately sense deep calmness, a poise, centeredness, alignment, quieter mind, great sense of safety, of timelessness. Well, all of these things affect the meditative state. They take people to transcendental state, even if they're not meditators or have never meditated. They just, the mind becomes quiet. I've done EEG scans with with uh, uh, people, you know, listening to these instruments and you see how uh, they quiet the mind. People can check these scans on my website, soundmeditation.com. So it's not an accident why we we resort to, to constructing these instruments because they are doing something to our consciousness. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say as well, when you were, when you were talking about there, how all these different types of sound are affecting people, like you've seen, quiet in the mind, calm in the mind. It does make mm -hmm. sense because when people talk about raising the vibration, I mean, I, I know obviously you'll know the science behind it, but I don't really know the, the full science behind it. But even if just speaking in terms of like playing, yeah. playing with sounds of waves and sounds of nature, there's no doubt about them sounds that they can make you can make you feel better and they have a biological effect on our bodies and minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> you hear this a lot, uh, raise your vibration or, you know, people, it's, uh, um, I know what people mean, but unfortunately we often resort to uh, rudimentary ways of talking about them that this such a thing can be tremendously abstract to a person. What do you mean raise your vibration? How can I raise my vibration? Just thinking about it? No, there are methods. Well, for me, raise vibration first of all has to stem from disconnecting from the monkey mind. Yeah. From the mind that's playing all these loops, the habitual patterns. That's why meditation is important, which is the act of quieting the mind to experience the inner potential that's within us. To experience the the divine within, uh, and to become able to pay attention on on a more fundamental level, to gain self awareness. Self awareness is what we need. So raising our vibration means to pay attention to negative thoughts. And negative thoughts can have very strong gravitational pull on us. That. You know, a lot of people are addicted to uh, negative feelings and anger and, you know, these unhealthy sentiments can be tremendously addictive. Um, our first and most powerful addictions are to endogenous chemicals, chemicals secreted in the body, not exogenous chemical like alcohol and legal and illegal drugs, it's the emotions because everything that happens within us happens on the chemical level. So these various neurotransmitters and hormones and enzymes, all the things that are running in our body all the time, we're really tripping. The human experience is a human trip. We are, are slaves to our chemicals. So if someone 
has had a certain upbringing being exposed to a lot of anger or a lot of sadness or various things that impacted the person, then the person's going to be addicted to these emotions and they're going to have to make tremendous amount of effort to break away, to decondition the body, especially the brain, to change the neuroplasticity to, to not manifest this negativity or or to manipulate the self emotionally or others to find themselves in that same position where they're experiencing anger or reason to be angry. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I completely agree. And I think it's fascinating when you look at the concept of how positive and negative vibrations um, and mindsets can actually alter the entire state of the human body, even to the mm-hmm. process that the body can even heal itself or hinder itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a fascinating concept. And it also makes me think as well how how these, basically these are both different types of energy, and energy creates energy, mm-hmm. and that's going through the entire process of the body. Yeah. And it, and it also impacts me is like, if we these processes that happen through our own body, it makes you also wonder how sound is processing the mind. So how, how our sound is putting us into these different positive and negative states. And that's, that's really cr- critical to understand how, how our body is actually, and our mind is going to heal or hinder itself. And I think that's a fascinating concept. Yeah, absolutely. That's, th- this is really the whole point of holistic practices is to uh, create room for self-healing. Self-healing is what we need to exercise and to to be, first of all, aware of what is it that we're doing that's not good for us, that we do it on subconscious level. We do it without any awareness. First of all, we need to be good allies to ourselves, to realize that we're not treating ourselves in a good way, and that is creating worry creating emotional states that are toxic. If we want to lead healthy lives, there are two things to pay attention to. And I tell this to my clients all the time, to say to myself as well. Energy management and time management, to pay attention to where our time is going, toward what, and where our energy is going, what is happening inside of us when we're doing anything even just walking or doing the simplest thing what is happening in the mind what are are we thinking about is it positive or negative is it necessary how much are we exploring something how much of are we belaboring a certain thought to heighten state because really reality is inside of us we're learning a lot about the nature of reality uh, I love Robert Lanza's book about uh, the nature of reality. It's called uh, Biocentrism. And the sequel to the book is Beyond Biocentrism. It's a great book that I often recommend to people to better understand what reality is. Reality seems to be a process that is more inside of us and not outside. Reality is a product of our consciousness. It's very hard to understand reality. When we understand these things and understand how our emotions would impact the outer world, then we realize the connection between the inner world and the outer world. And maybe 
at some point in the future, hopefully soon, we realize that there is no difference between the two. It's the same. At least that's what we're gaining from the study of Hinduism, shamanism, Taoism, Eastern philosophies in general, even shamanism. And, and physics is leading us there as well. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to go back, jump back as well. But you made a, you made a very, very good point. And you, you mentioned about understanding where our energy is going. And something that came to my mind that relates to being attracted to certain sound frequencies is human sounds and resonating, mm -hmm. resonating better with certain people because that's obviously a form of energy where you put in your energy. But there does seem to be like a pull towards certain people. Yes. With sound, sorry, with sound. It's, yes, yes, exactly. So it's very important for uh, all of us to pay attention to these things and to see where our energy is going and perhaps maybe we're depleting our energy, not leaving enough to create something positive. When we start doing serious work, whatever people are resorting to, whether meditation, other holistic practices, um, and, and delving deeper into spirituality, Eastern philosophies, or um, work with uh, sh shamanic practices, we realize that we create problems that and we spend time and energy on solving these problems. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When you touched on the, uh, the shamanic world there as well and like psychedelic ceremonies, it's really interesting because I wanted to mention this to you because a lot of people actually talk about how in ayahuasca, it's the sound that's really doing the work. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> even uh, Shipibo shamans will tell you that the Ikaro, which is uh, the, the, the songs that are sung in, in ayahuasca ceremonies, um, the Ikaro is more important than the ayahuasca because you can still do powerful work with the Ikaro by itself. So for me, having studied shamanism and how it works, not studied to become a shaman, but to understand shamanism and the use of sound, um, I can safely say that sound is doing the work in shamanic ceremonies. The plants, psychotropic plants, are amplifiers. They are actually creating, um, they're potentiating what sound can do. Um, psychedelics work because they create an opportunity to experience placebo on rocket boosters. Well, this is connected to the concept of reality. Since nothing is really there, it seems like we're making it up as we go. And it's a very complex thing. I don't want people to think I'm being reductionist here. You know, no, I mean, that's something I can expand on for the next several hours. But um, by knocking off a baseline, these plants are creating an opportunity for sound to recalibrate us, to realign us to the source code in the universe. What we're being exposed to really is mathematics that are tempering our consciousness, snapping things back into grid, recalibrating, realigning sound in a ceremony is modeling to us what being in tune is like, where that, to, to showing us that healing is a state of resonance. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely beautiful, and healing is a state of resonance. And I think, and I think this is why a lot of people go into the um, into the ayahuasca ceremonies very um, open-minded because basically, I, I believe like from what, what this conversation has taught me recently is that is that um, 
is that sound is so equated to the body that it can actually transcend the body into this complete state of whatever the sound chooses. And I think that's why the sound mm-hmm. takes so much control. And mm. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And as well, um, sorry, I just wrote something down here. I want to I want to get this right. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, and it's also and the idea that sound, how it quiets the mind as well. That made me think that sound is it actually taking us back to the purest state of who we are, of what we are. And that's why I think that's so interesting, these ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And how they their idea of mixing sound with psychedelics and movement, these altered states of consciousness, that, that is amazing to me. And mm-hmm. and with uh, with you having both your head in both worlds and come from a scientific and more skeptic point of view, it's absolutely fascinating really. And like how do you explain um the phenomenon of sound taking on a visual aspect? Yeah, it's it's it is really important. I encourage people to not take someone else's truth but try to figure out how could this truth be converted in a way to make it work for me because what people are doing they're taking things literally well the shamanic models differ tremendously and if you were to compare them you realize that whoa they're talking about different things who is right they're all right in their own way but the problem is that the human condition, and that's <laughs> something that we need to be extremely careful of, because look at what's happening in the world. These religions and denominations and sects have been killing each other over whose God is more merciful for centuries. So, shamanic societies do the same thing. They compete. You know, our method is better than yours. Our protocol is better than yours. Our cosmology is better than yours. That's the detriment of belief. That's the tr- how tricky belief is. Faith is a very tricky thing, but at the same time, it's necessary. When we're not careful, we can misuse it tremendously. Yeah. And um, but for me, what shamanism is, again, not sounding uh, reductionist, but really to give a good understanding of what it is, it's mostly manipulating two things: sound and compounds compounds are the chemicals in psychotropic plants and altering consciousness and of course there is a complex set and setting the set is what's happening in the person's mind there is intentions attention and will awareness and the setting how safe is the setting you know where people are doing the experience but At the end, we're manipulating two primary tools that are very powerful, capable of altering consciousness to the highest level, sound and compounds, because the brain and the entire body runs on chemicals, and we can change uh, our consciousness, alter state, you know, with changing chemicals. You drink a cup of coffee, you're going to feel very different. Yeah. You smoke marijuana, you're going to feel very different. You drink a glass of wine, you're going to feel very different. That is what I'm talking about, is that these chemicals are launching people into different states of consciousness. This is where the word spirits comes from. And spirit, another thing that people are using loosely and in a flippant way, when it has 25 different uh, definitions. Alcohol can be spirit. Uh, spirit can be... Um, disembodied soul or energy can be an ethos, can be 
allure can be a different way of being. So many different words, and we use it interchangeably, plug it here and there, and we're losing the sense of what spirit is. And it's mostly based on exteriorization. There's one important point that I want to mention is, while being exposed to music, the most important thing is how we are listening. Mm. What is happening in our mind? What kind of listening we're applying? It shouldn't turn into thinking and hearing the music in the background. No. The person needs to be fully engaged in the listening experience. Listening with an undivided attention, judiciously, intentionally. This is where truly the magic is. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to say that as well. It is very important what you said there because I've actually been playing an experiment with like loads of different styles of music over the last few years. I've been getting really fascinated by it, like even from just binaural beats, sound of nature, even just like music with various different instruments from all over like the world. But I think it's really interesting how all these different styles do seem to have these different reactions on my own mood and energy and sleep and dreams and even more as well. I mean... And I think especially for me as well, what I've noticed with binaural beats, I've found that when I do close my eyes, yeah. it really brings forward some interesting like patterns and waves. And mm-hmm. I was I was actually wondering, to, I was going to ask you this as well, but is there any research out there like facts saying that like certain binaural beats have like are better for like deep sleep and enhanced mental focus and things like that? Or is that just people just yeah. saying that? Is that true? The, the first person to have uh, experimented with them is Robert Monroe. He's written wonderful books, and uh, <clears throat> there is an institute that he started. He's dead, um, and uh, the Monroe Institute, people can look it up. So, uh, yes, binaural beats can be very powerful. We need a lot more studies because we don't really understand the brain so well, so we can't fully understand how these frequencies are changing things in the brain, mm-hmm. neurochemistry and activating brainwave cycles or deactivating them and so on and so forth. Um, So they can be very powerful, but again, the most important thing is the awareness. How is the person listening? I personally like to use acoustical instruments, instruments that emit harmonic overtones, uh, um, because these overtones are actually giving us all the mathematical ratios in their natural state without any modification or alteration because music in the West, the octave, has been um, modified through something that's called the equal temperament. This is a this is a long and complex thing to talk about, but I'll mention the premise of it really. Um, the equal temperament is the act of dividing the octave into 12 equidistant half steps. The Western octave is divided into 12 half steps. A half step is the distance between the white key and the adjacent black key uh, on a piano, or the distance between C and C sharp, or C sharp and D. So when you go from C to octave higher C, where the frequency doubles, if let's say your C is 100 hertz, and you go to octave higher C, so low octave C can sound like ta ta is the higher octave ta ta. That's doubling the frequency. Let's say the lower one is 100 hertz. The octave higher C will be 200 hertz. So there are different notes in between, and not all octaves are equal to 12 half steps. 
some like Indian octave is divided into 22 tones. Um, the Arabic and Persian octaves are divided into 24 tones, the Turkish octave into 53 tones. So where do these smaller divisions come from? Well, from the notes in the harmonic series that people feel intuitively and that they construct notes that can be played part of modes uh, in the harmonic series. It's a very complex thing. I do realize the, the complexity of it, and especially that I'm just talking about it and not showing slides and, and, and playing examples. Yeah, yeah. So pay, people maybe uh, want to research this and spend some time because this is literally what castrated music in the West, the equal temperament. There's a great book on this topic. It's, it's called... Um, how equal temperament ruined harmony and why you should care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, non-Western cultures did not adopt the equal temperament. Now, that's something that not a lot of people know about. Most people are busy talking about, oh, 440 hertz versus 432 hertz, you know, the standard frequency. Well, we don't know. We need a lot more studies to realize whether 432 is truly the better frequency to start tuning our instruments to. But regardless, it's not as important as equal temperament versus non-equal temperament, because if you follow the equal temperament, which gave us some advantages, mostly connected to tuning instruments to one tuning and being able to play in all keys, to be able to transpose to all keys, um, is convenient, but it disconnected us from the subtle changes that nature gave us in the mathematics of sound. So non-equal tempered scales are far more impactful because our body and everything in our awareness vibrates sympathetically with it. Wow, I was just going to say, you, you just blew my mind there as well. <laughs> And I, I think as well, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it is. It's very, it's so, it's, it is so complex. I mean, I think I'm going to have to listen back this to myself a few times. And I think what you were saying there as well, I think it will be beautiful, like in the future when, when more information is com comes to light about the different connections between all these different varied sounds. Because I think when that does come to light, it'll be, be it might become a lot more understandable for people. And like I was talking about before as well, like the certain binaural beats when mm -hmm. certain people talk about how they are better for sleep and some, uh, or better for enhanced mental focus. I think maybe in the future, with the future of sound, we may, like we might be able to like decipher that a bit better. But um, something as well I want to touch on with you as well, like within the future of sound as well, because I think the whole future of sound is an interesting concept. And I think and something that came to my mind there as well was um, the effect of technology on our like own um, internal like decipher mechanism within our body that we have now. Because I think in a sh just looking at now in a short period of time on this planet. There's been so much technology that's been created, and we haven't mm -hmm. even had. It seems to me that we haven't had time to adapt and evolve to that. I mean, even if you just think about over the last 50 years, we've produced so many different types of sound, and it's interesting to me. I was thinking, could this have an, like a negative effect on our body? Because it seems to it seems to be that we are like unaware of the effect that all this new sound has created within the world. Yes, uh, absolutely, they're affecting us tremendously. Noise pollution is very toxic. It has a huge impact on especially those of us who live in cities, large cities, busy cities. I know this for a fact. I live in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, these sounds and new sounds are affecting us, 
but also the electromagnetics, the cell phones and PDAs and computers, we're bombarded with uh, uh, various electromagnetics and electronics is wreaking havoc on our awareness, on our consciousness. Technology has served us so well and it's still serving us, especially the internet. But we don't realize the negative consequences of technology and how <clears throat> we can become too reliant on it or <clears throat> disconnected from human contact or being in nature. Yeah. Um, take, for example, how much time people dedicate to being on Facebook or communicating with each other or, you know, with, through social media, all social media. Well, you know, we have to be judicious in the way we use them because they can enhance things, but the misuse of um, all of this stuff, technology, internet, uh, social media can disconnect us from the human being, mm -hmm. from nature, from reality. So we have to be very attentive of how we're using our time and energy again. Most people end up by spending more time communicating with each other through instant messaging, texting or emailing or Facebook messages when they can actually go and meet in person. What we're missing here is what's in the language as it's spoken, the inflections, the silence between the words, the amplitude all of the things that cannot be encompassed in writing a text or, or an email. Well, we came up with emoticons. Well, emoticons are not going to come close to the complexity of the musicality of the voice. Because this is how emotions are communicated mostly. It's not just in the words, in all of the things that are part of the words that we pronounce. I think that, that was an absolute beautiful point that you brought up there, by the way, because it does seem to be, like you said, that there's this, there's this more underlying, like much more important connection, like via in person through sound than there is through the internet. And I think that is beautiful what you brought up there, because I think the more in life that you that we do ab absorb, like things like the Facebook and things like that, like you said, we are coming, we are coming disconnected from that fact. And we're forgetting what really what the real things are important in life. And like you said, it is these connections with people. It's connections with like-minded people like you. But that's ultimately the best form of that is in person. Because like you said, sound resonates in person at a better frequency. That's what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, we're being affected by the voice and everything that the voice has and the electromagnetics of the body and also the body language, uh, feeding the person's energy. And even if we just, nobody, nobody uses phones anymore, <laughs> mm. you know, and sometimes we re realize that, you know, we end up by using more time, communicating via text inefficiently when uh, one minute of a phone conversation can resolve the matter. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we have to be attentive. I'm not saying texting is not good. No, it has its place. It can be very efficient and very useful. But we have to be attentive of when to still talk on the phone, when to send an email or a text, and uh, but not to be absorbed, go deep into the machine to become the machine. 
to use these machines, use all of these things that we've created to enhance our connection to each other and to expand our consciousness. The internet, depending on how it's used, can expand someone's consciousness but can mislead people tremendously and disconnect people from each other. If you think of how much misinformation and disinformation and garbage there is on the internet and people take for truth, and it's being used to mislead people as well, you know? Um, I mean, this this can go into <laughs> very deep realms if I want to go deep into it. But, um, but really, we have to be very attentive of what to believe in and how we research things and how to be skeptical, to be attentive uh, to everything that we do now that we are getting more connectedness to each other. There is a strong gravity that's pulling us toward the machine and we shouldn't fall into transhumanism. Mm -hmm. It's an an easy trap for a lot of people to fall in and to be honest, even I fall into the trap as well of like being a, being a bit too disconnected to the reality instead of focusing on this external object in my hand. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, "What am I doing? Where yeah. where am I? Where am I really? Am I here, or I'm in, or am I in here in my phone?" Well, and I think that's why we get on a little point in the conversation now, where is we're talking in the realms of where communication is so delicate. It really is delicate, and it's touching a fine line between um, a future that's incredible or a future that's going to be so disconnected. And like you said before, the internet is beautiful and it's brought us into this great place where we can meet thousands and billions of people around the world. And I think that's why now I know that sound and communication is so important and it is the future, but we also must recognize that. And mm-hmm. we need to enhance the meaning of sound and the importance of it. And I think right now we're certainly doing that with what we're doing right now. And we're looking at a future where we can be more connected through a voice mm-hmm. than we ever can be, through like a text. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as our consciousness expands, and you know, we, we know where we need to go. We know what we need to expand our consciousness, but at the same time we need to gain deeper level of awareness well I don't see this as happening but honestly you look in the streets and see what's happening people are disconnected from each other everyone is wearing headphones everyone's head is in their iPhone texting or scrolling through whatever not even paying attention to what's happening in the street I I don't actually I love music (laughs) clearly I don't listen to music in the street Uh, I need to hear ambient sounds. Now, sometimes people wear their headphones to block the noise, I can understand, but what they end up by doing is blasting the volume so loudly to drown out the external noise, and that's also affecting their hearing. That's another problem. A lot of people have been suffering from tinnitus, and, you know, it's like a chain of reaction. There's so many things affecting our lives. We need to be very attentive of how we're using what we're manifesting to our benefits and not to our detriment. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to say as well before, just to uh, jump back a little, two little, two little seconds. You said before as well about how we we do need to be aware of all these things that are affecting us. 
And before, when you touched on, before you were saying like the difference between a man-made city versus like a natural uh, environment, because mm. it seems to me when I am like in more nature environment, it seems to like heighten my awareness. And I become more assertive in terms of like the tiniest little sound. Mm-hmm. When I, but when I am like in a busy city, um, it seems to me that my sound awareness, like if, if someone was looking from an outside perspective, it should be more assertive because it seems to be it's like a louder environment. But through mm-hmm. my own journey, my understanding, it seems to be that my body puts up this mechanism and it goes into sort of like autopilot and just shuts down as like a safety mechanism, like saying there's, t- there's too much of the wrong sound. Mm-hmm. That's it. I- I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I think it's an interesting point what Dan just said there, where he's indicating um, a wrong sound, where is I was just thinking there, there could be someone else who's seeing that sound and is viewing it as very like a harmonic and viewing that sound of the city, and that maybe to them might bring them home in their own soul. And it's it's just an interesting sound, interesting version, like how to one person sound is beauty, but to the other that sound could be disaster. And yeah. it's just an interesting. So I I don't think there's a right and wrong way of really indicating the sound. It's just sound. Yeah. I mean, it depends on people's conditioning and certain things are cultural. If you listen to certain cultures' music, you may not find it beautiful. Mm. But <laughs> uh, what is beautiful and, and how our conditioning can impact what we consider to be beautiful, not in our sense of aesthetics. So uh, music can... Beautiful music can sound to someone else as organized noise. Um, you know, it's a, but we can get used to a wide variety of different things. I'm sure you can share this with a lot of people that you know and agree on things and disagree on others. Yeah, yeah. That you know, the style is noise. I can't listen to it. I, you know, someone else would favor it over anything. So it's a, it's very unique our relationship with music and sound and culture and it's it's very very complex thing it's, it's very complex also how um we've used sounds for a variety of different contexts and um our impact by sounds in nature we don't even understand why we rely on music why we make music it's the biggest question in ethnomusicology why, why is man musical Mankind, that is, I include all humanity. So where did this come from? Did it come from <clears throat> emulating uh, birds or animals or from motherhood? It's very complex. Wow. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's a, that's a beautiful note to leave the podcast on, on as well. Because, And I just want to say as well, thank you so much for giving us like an insight into the, into the world of sound because it is so important. In a way, it's, I think it's going to give everyone a powerful reminder that like this, the power of sound and I think that's beautiful and I really think you've transcended that over in this podcast and I just want to say thank you so much for giving us your time you're welcome my pleasure thank you for the invitation yeah thank, thank you <coughs> there. and uh, that, that final point there why do we make music is absolutely just baffled my mind because I was like I, I love questions what I, what I don't think there's an answer to and I, and that just made me absolutely my mind just be so I've got a smile on my face now just because that one like question right at the end and it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating yeah 
Well, I'll leave the listeners uh, with one thing is that be curious. Don't just keep on listening to what you know and you love because you're missing out on a lot of things that you don't know that are there to love. Wow. And wow. when you listen to them, you will be changed. Wow, well, you've certainly changed us. Yeah, it's amazing. That. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Dan and Chris. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. What a great combo that was. Please check out Alexandra's work at soundmeditation.com. And I've also put all the books and all the studies and all the people and all the links that were mentioned in this podcast at our website at ascendbodymind.com. So anyway, guys, I'll catch you next week where we have another great guest. Peace. Peace.